Hello and welcome to another episode of the Women Who Sport podcast. This is the penultimate podcast episode on our series with Women Sports Trust, the Unlocked series. This week on the podcast, we've got Amy Conroy, who is a GB wheelchair basketball player. She's been through some like outstanding things and has just a really cool outlook on life. And she was really funny and inspiring. And we're buzzing about sharing this episode with you. Before we get started, just want to say a big thank you to our two partners, Locker Slash Rugby, brilliant humans that do great things for the game and sell on pre-love kit for charity, and also Boo Barmer. Rona and I have both kind of tried these out now in training. Uh, it's essentially armour for your boobs to protect them. Uh, don't really notice them. Really great company trying to do some good things and breakthrough into the UK market. Smashed it. Cha, cha, cha. Right, roundup of the week. Okay, so roundup of the week. Uh, should I go with my high? Yeah. Well, it's it's a high, but off the back of something really sad. But Scottish football player Jenny Beattie sadly discovered she had a lump in her breast and has got breast cancer. Um, however, off the back of her kind of announcing this publicly on on BBC Sport and through her like Arsenal football channels the Arsenal Man City game so her previous club they all wore jerseys with B and her number on the back and I just thought that was like a really I don't know how I would even term it but like that's just one of the beauties of sport two teams two rival teams coming together to just appreciate a player and support a player through a pretty tough time yeah love it i seen that i thought that was so touching yeah that was my high so my high isn't as emotional so mine is a bit of a double-edged one so i'll go for both so i was i wasn't that up to date on the news this week it was like i'll check out the bbc sport website get some good news stories from that so out of 60 thumbnails on like the bbc sport main page this morning there was two that were women's sport out oh, of 60 I know so that is my low but then the high from that was one of them was so this is about golf which isn't my like forte at all I've only ever played it on the Wii <laughs> but Aileen Kim hope I'm not saying that wrong uh, won the golf US Open and she was ranked number 94 in the world when she won Ooh. it yeah world number one came second so like that is pretty sick we love an underdog geez we do love an underdog that's class yeah so that was my good news I missed the bad news of having to troll yeah Mm, Mm -hmm. fair um okay my bad news I guess kind of on a similar note and it has been announced for a couple of weeks now but the sports personality of the year awards the shortlist nominations out of all of the nominations is there's one female that's made the shortlist and I just think that there are more incredible female athletes that deserve the recognition and deserve to make that shortlist. So I've seen some stuff about if they need a men's sports personality of the year and a women's sports personality of the year. And like, I think having that, I don't think personally it would undermine the achievement if there was one for men's and one's for women's. Yeah, and do you know what? It's a way to get more women's sports coverage out there, I think. Because... I do think a lot's happened and a lot of positives happened in female sport and that deserves to be celebrated. And when there's just one female in there... I know. Agreed. Who is the one that's in there? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. (laughs) (laughs) 
horse rider, boxer. Holly Doyle, 24, horse racer. Um, so she broke her own record for the number of winners ridden by a British woman in a year. Um, rode a historic double on British Championship Day. If I'm honest, I'm not really big on, on horse racing, but go on, Holly, you're doing it for the women. <laughs> right, buzz in. Smashed it. Boom. Let's get Sharon Martin on and then we'll get into it with Amy. Always be proud of who you are, girl. Gotta hold your head up high. Don't let this moment pass you by. You can be anything you believe you can be, girl. This world is waiting just for you. So go and shine and live the truth. You can be anything you believe you can be. First thing, we thought it would be a good place to start with wheelchair basketball and give listeners a bit of an insight into your sport. And like from watching it at Paralympics mainly, it does seem super brutal. So like, I guess for our listeners, how would you like summarise your sport? How would you, I guess, sell it to others? Um, yeah, agreed. It can be quite brutal. Um, my arm kind of got run over in like a weird position by a very stacked guy about two years ago and I'm still having issues from it. So yeah, it is feisty. But I think until people have seen it for themselves, I know before I'd heard of it, I kind of thought, oh, it's going to be kind of a disabled sport. It's going to be all about, you know, inclusion and everyone having a go. It's going to be quite lame. But no, especially at the top level, it is very competitive. Everyone's equal. There's no kind of prisoners, really. I think my favourite part is just the speed of it. Yeah, it, it is a quick game. And I, I guess it, there are a few similarities to wheelchair basketball and wheelchair rugby. Um, wheelchair rugby is also super brutal. I met a guy who was, in, who was in the GB team and he was just like, yeah, not only are you like pelting into people at, at full pace, you've also got like a chair behind you as well. And he says there are some like brutal injuries with it. Um, so it's definitely exciting to watch. So you're considered a four-point player. Could you explain what that means and how the different classes work and how that would then kind of translate into a tournament, for example? Yeah, so um, we have a classification system and you're allowed 14 points on the floor at any one time. So that's divided by the five players in any way that you want. Uh, Can't go over, but you could play under if you want. And your classification is based on your ability because of your disability. So a five-point player would be you guys, so able-bodied. I can't play internationally though, so a 4.5 has technically the most function, um, down to a one-point player who maybe might be um, paralysed, say, and so they need more, they have to sit lower because they've got less balance and would have strapping to help them. Um, and so then you play a combination, I guess, to make it a bit fairer of different types of abilities, pretty much. Oh, okay. Does that kind of change the dynamics of your team quite a lot or do you generally go into a game with a like a certain spread of point players if you like um I mean a lot of teams approach it differently with how they play and depending on your matchup against other countries so you might have say the higher pointers because you've got a bit more balance can sit taller so you might decide to play um three big so three four point players and two ones if you've got a match up against a really tall team you might decide to run with kind of lower point like 2.5s for speed if you're going to run like a press which is kind of one-on-one matching up defence. So it kind of really does play into the tactics of the game and the kind of style that you want to use against different matchups. Okay, that is so interesting. I'm like super naive and actually didn't know any of that myself. So (laughs) thanks for sharing that. And also we've spoke to quite a few athletes now from different sports and in rugby, the Olympics, Paralympics isn't really the pinnacle of our sport, but 
is that the pinnacle of wheelchair, wheelchair basketball, sorry, or is there a league or a competition elsewhere that would be kind of your career highlight? Um, no, sorry, I thought you were going to say, is basketball the pinnacle of the Paralympics? And yes, it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um, I would say for me personally, the Paralympics would be kind of the pinnacle once you've made it there. Um, our world yeah. championships is a pretty big deal as well. But for me, it's always been the Paralympics. Paralympics, yeah. That's what we want, that's what we want the gold. <laughs> yeah. Is that the, the aim for uh, Japan? Uh, yeah. So we're currently yeah. second in the world, second in Europe to the Dutch. So. Oh, wow. After. Yes. Ah, so the Dutch. Is the Dutch team, have they kind of always been first? For a while, they've been really good. Um, Raining champs. Germans are always up there. Yeah. yeah, they've been in every final for the last 10 years before 2018 Worlds and finally booted them out in the semis. <laughs> oh, well, fingers crossed. We definitely wish you all the best. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so what does your typical training week look like for basketball um, from like, Monday to Sunday? When, when do you usually have your matches? When do you have your brutal sessions in there? And then kind of where do your tactics and things come into play? So our current COVID training looks pretty different to our normal training. So I start with previously, um, we all centralised together in Sheffield. So we train together as a team Monday to Friday, uh, two to three sessions a day. On court, we've got team stuff, individual work, we have video analysis, strength stuff in the gym, and like psych and nutrition meetings. And then weekends will be where we play um, in the mixed league with our own individual teams. So predominantly guys teams. Um, however, post COVID, um, we have only just yesterday been allowed to pass to each other for the first time in months and it's been kind of <laughs> passing through the wall and rolling face masks spluttering and wheezing uh, so it hasn't quite been the same very fortunate yeah. that we get to train but it's not really looked like basketball we can have kind of four people on a court to each end at once have to oh, stop every 15 minutes and your chair the wheels so yeah it's been quite <laughs> tough so has lockdown drastically changed your training week then yeah absolutely i think we're one of the last sports to start back again um so we've only been back a couple months our organization prioritized health which i've been really grateful for my dad's been really ill over lockdown so i've been so grateful for that um but yeah our training i think we only get about three hours at the moment on court a week which is what we used to do in a day so, yeah um, we've got some catching up to do because stalking other countries instagrams shamelessly uh, they all seem to be back properly so yeah oh <laughs> Me and Rona do that all the time. We'll be like on Instagram, Italy are back training. Guys, yeah. have you seen France? They've been back for months now. Yeah, yeah. we're we're really bad at that too. People doing like Zoom sessions in our living rooms, just flailing around on the floor doing press-ups. And then you see everyone else playing games. You're like, oh, geez. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Stressful, isn't it? Yeah, you're not alone, don't worry. I think uh, most sports are probably doing that as well. Yeah, <laughs> Did you say that the league in Britain is like it's mixed between men and women? Um, so we have a women's league, um, but that's only about three weekends a year at the moment. We've got something big kind of happening, which is going to be amazing. Like a women's pro league is coming and we hope for international players. But yeah, up until now, it's been kind of playing mixed. So I think I was the only female on my team before, which it's good to play against guys because they're, you know, taller naturally and, you know, fast and they're, they tend to treat you any differently. They're still very aggressive, but obviously the game is different when you're playing against men and women. Because in the female game, I'm pretty tall, whereas against guys, I can get swatted. So I try to change my style of play a little bit. So yeah, I'm so excited for a pro women's league. 
Oh, can't wait. Oh, wow, cool. I didn't know that. And once Britain's got a pro women's league, hoping that players from Germany and the Netherlands and other countries that you said are dominant will come over and play in that. That's the plan, yeah. So we'll try. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Really exciting. That is cool. Do you find, though, that playing in like a, a men's league competition then puts you in a better place competing against other countries that may not do that? Or is that actually quite a global thing for women to play alongside men? Um, it's quite global. So um, oh, okay. I've been out in Italy before for a year and I think we'd be the first country to have a professional women's league like properly as in kind of throughout the year um, as yeah, it's all mixed around the world, not internationally, but just um, yeah, at European level. That would be really cool. And are the women's teams going to be kind of positioned alongside existing men's teams or is it going to be a complete new women's setup with new teams and, and franchises created? Um, I mean, I hope I'm allowed to speak about this. I'll double check after. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, no, it's my fault. But I'm just really hyped about it. Um, but uh, no, it's going to be kind of new teams. I think we're going to they're going to go alongside universities. I'm so excited how much they're buying into it. I'm going to support it so I think it's yeah and then the men's league is going to follow a few years on so it's quite oh novel. that's amazing that's really wow, cool yeah like, oh yeah. if we are allowed to speak about this this is my going to be my news of the week the highlight one because this is such good news <laughs> this is how our podcast is going to get famous we're going to leak all the global <laughs> basketball goss happening in wheelchair basketball <laughs> <laughs> incredible female CEO absolute badass who's been driving this so Powder. Sweet, love it. Cool. So we wanted to go into next kind of a bit about your story and I guess if you were always sporty growing up and how you got into wheelchair basketball. So yeah, would you be comfortable kind of telling us that in your own words? Of course, yeah. Um yeah, back in the two leg days, I was incredibly sporty. Um was on all the school sports teams. Um, and I started getting a pain in my knee and went back and forth to the doctors for about a year and they kept saying, you know, oh, it's um, flat feet. So I was wearing these insoles, which as game changing as they are, <laughs> don't do much for a tumour, which it turned out to be. But yeah, kind of like sports sprain, growing pains. Um, and then it just got worse and worse. I had to start pulling out of um, all the teams, started struggling walking. I started collapsing around high school and I just started. I just want to make a cool new first impression. And then I fell over and then kept falling back over. And I remember being in front of a guy that I fancied. Um, Kieran, if you're out there, <laughs> I can't <see> you. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was kind of like, oh, well, this enough is enough. Now it's getting a bit kind of ridiculous. My dignity is on the line here. Uh, so next day I went to A&E to get an x-ray with my dad. And yeah, um, I remember the doctor pulling my dad out to talk to him privately and I started panicking a bit. And my dad came back in and he'd clearly been crying. And then um, doctor was saying a lot of solemn all very solemnly saying a lot of big words which didn't really understand osteosarcoma no clue until he said cancer it was like okay yeah I yeah at the time cancer to me had meant death um I'd lost my mum my grandparents my uncle from cancer and I was given a 50% chance of survival because it spread quite a bit because it'd been found late so uh, at that point I thought oh Christ this is it went into hospital the next day and started chemotherapy where I was there for the year God, holy shit. So it was, was that age, was that 12, starting high school? Um, yeah, so age 12, 12 to 13. So yeah, I spent about a year messing around with my insoles. <laughs> God, that must be so frustrating. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't really be frustrated by it because they kind of saved my life. So although it took a while to find it, like I'm very grateful to still be around. Um, we lost quite a few kids on the wards that year, so... Around one leg down, it's not really in the grand scheme of things. 
Good deal. 75% limbs, pretty good statistics. Good day. <laughs> <laughs> and you're now smashing like oh, yeah. actual smashing it. <laughs> I, mean, I did learn all the lyrics to Fergalicious during lockdown, which is pretty sweet. <laughs> if you don't mind me asking, how long into that year that you were in hospital, or how long into that process was it, okay, you're going to lose your leg? I guess chemo was kind of the main focus throughout the first few months. Um, I got really sick with that one. I think I've mentioned to you before in our talk that I was sick. I counted, I don't know why, 75 times in the first day. So I was a bit cocky beforehand. I was eating these. I remember flaming hot Doritos, which I can't forget since. And I was like, Dad, honestly, I feel fine. This is going to be easy. We've got this. And big talk, I was sick. As soon as it started kicking in, I was, oh, I was really, if I lay flat, if I lay on my side, set up straight, smell food. Poor dad used to eat his pot noodles in the toilet, so I couldn't smell it. So yeah, chemo did hit me hard. And so by the time kind of I was told I'd lose my leg, I think it kind of took it in my stride really, because it, it was very swollen. It didn't kind of, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't really like my leg anymore. It was just kind of wearing me down. It wasn't, it sounds weird. It wasn't a very nice thought to know that you've got like a big tumor and it's kind of spreading. It was always nice just to get rid of it. Although at the time I didn't realize that prosthetic legs were a thing. So I just assumed I wouldn't be able to walk. And this is really embarrassing. I don't know where, cut this out maybe. <laughs> I'm looking back and reading this kind of like list I'd written at the time of like things you can still do with one leg, not realizing I'd be able to walk. And oh my God, it's a pitiful list. I mean, the idea is great. It's like watch DVDs. One thing was sit on the grass, like, oh, big. like what was I? <laughs> I guess the idea was still kind of like focus on what you can do still rather than what you've lost. So yeah, when it came down to it, um, it wasn't a very big deal. That's absolutely amazing that you yeah, came out the other side of that year in hospital. And how was it? Well, I know that we've kind of spoken about it before with like body image, integrating back into the school system. Yeah, so um, first out of hospital, um, I was just so grateful to be alive and I was just excited by everything. It was probably really annoying kind of to be around. Um, and that was when I kind of uh, realised to me kind of what was important, what wasn't worth worrying about. Um, and I didn't really kind of notice that I looked in absolute state. You know, I was I was completely bald, no eyebrows, no eyelashes. My face was really fat from the steroids. I had braces, glasses, this big wheelchair. I couldn't fit into classrooms. I had to be in the special room. I don't know how I wasn't bullied. I, was just, <laughs> I should have been prime mate. And then it was just kind of, I guess, a few months down the line when I started realising it's about age 14 and I went back to school after missing a year. And I was like, hang on, you know, we're talking to boys now and people suddenly started kind of straightening their hair and looking pretty. And I suddenly became very aware of the fact that I didn't look like everyone else. And I was like, I just wanted to be normal. I became painfully insecure. Uh, no one else had a disability in my school. I had never seen anyone else with one leg before, or this is pre-basketball. So I was just so aware that I was really different and kind of weird. And no one ever kind of said that many mean things. Occasionally there'd be kind of comments or people would stare, but yeah, I just used to have this big padding down my leg and it didn't look real at all. It kind of all used to slip down. So it'd be this big kind of cankle abomination thing. So it didn't look good, but I was just so kind of desperate to hide it and seem like everyone else. I'd wear these, I'd wear jeans when I first started playing basketball, which no one should ever do. And I wouldn't take my leg off and I'd wear big trousers everywhere. I've got these pictures of me on the beach in these massive trousers. That ain't cute. Yeah. So for me back then, body image, I was just kind of desperate to hide it and just thought that I wanted to be like everyone else. When did that change for you, I guess? Like, when did you start to embrace that? Yeah, although you might have looked different from your peers, actually, well, you've, you've gone on to do incredible things with that. Um, I think first I changing by starting bas wheelchair basketball and kind of meeting other people with a whole range of 
disabilities and ailments and people kind of like taking the piss out of each other a little bit and laughing at different things that people couldn't do well you can't even do that type thing and it became it felt like quite normal to be able to I don't know it felt normal just to be a bit different although saying that it's not like it clicked straight away I still kind of wouldn't take my leg off to play even though everyone there had bits missing like it really wasn't a big deal but for me it was just such a real kind of fear to take it off and for other people to see and I guess that's the thing about when you're self-conscious or you've got a fear about something for you it's really real and other people looking at you probably wouldn't think anything of it but if it's real for you then that's massive trying to get over that um so just the more I started playing basketball and I think when it first clicked was when I took off my leg um to play for the first time but yeah I don't know if I could bother telling that story but um <laughs> do I'm literally mesmerized yeah. by it all <laughs> Where you've heard it before, so I don't want to bore you with. Oh my no, absolutely you couldn't. <laughs> um, yeah, so I went to um, a junior tournament, and I packed my all my big pink giant trousers and flares and things. And the coach said to me the night before the first game, like, if you want to do this properly, you're gonna to have to take your leg off to play, because obviously you're not very, for me. I'm not very mobile with it. It's quite high, so I can't bend forward, and it's not great. Um, and I remember going to my dad saying, like, Dad, I can't do this. I want to go home. And I cried to him, which he mocks me to, to this day. And we had a classic dad chat, kind of like, well, this is your dream. It's what you've always said you wanted. It's your chance. You know, opportunities aren't, you know, when it's there, you go for it. You might regret it. And so I reluctantly stayed. I remember being, oh, I was all night. I was kind of running through this situation, like playing it back to myself, thinking, oh, God, what if this happens? What if someone says something? And then I, you know, stays with me. What if someone calls me like a freak or anything? And then it came to this big moment and I was like dreading it. And I was at the side of the call, like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And I took my leg off. And um, this big moment was nothing happened. Everyone carried on normally, obviously. No one cared. <laughs> Half the people there had various parts missing. Um, but for me, it had been such a big moment. And then just the fact that it wasn't anything near like I'd built it up to be, I think was a big breakthrough moment for me. And then started off kind of my dream properly to play for Great Britain. And now I'm just really passionate about never letting kind of your insecurities or your fears like, hold you back or limit your dreams. When you played that first game without your leg, did you feel that it improved your performance? Oh, 100%. And I think I always knew it would. But to me, it was more important to kind of not have anyone staring. Um, like protect yourself almost. Yeah, kind of hide, hide away. But obviously it kind of uh, makes you far more agile. You're lighter. You fit in your chair better. I was playing, so straps are quite a big thing in the chair because you're obviously like hitting, you're tilting, crashing into people. And so I wasn't playing with a strap. So I was pretty much just kind of like sitting in a chair, pushing around. That's really kind of staying out of the action. Like <laughs> people don't really play like that. So 100% it changed. And that was when a GB coach first kind of noticed me. I still wasn't very good, but kind of saw potential. So I really was holding myself back just because I was embarrassed um, of having my leg. And looking back, that's crazy now. If I could see myself now even wearing skirts or people seeing me without my leg on, baby me would have been like, what are you doing? People could see you. Um, so I guess, cheesy as it is, that's probably my proudest thing of myself. Apparently stuff is cool, but I guess kind of embracing accepting yourself as you are is quite a big thing in the long run. <laughs> Love it. So cool. And something that we actually probably glossed over a bit in that story was when did you first start playing wheelchair basketball? Like who got you into that sport? Um, so it was my dad who first encouraged me to go. I think this was still in the stage when I was fresh out of hospital, like, oh, life's great. I was kind of, I guess I got like lockdown, like, oh, I get to go to Tesco's, this is so cool. Um, uh, so he probably thought she's a bit of a loser, need to get her out of the house. And he took me to a tester session 
reluctantly and he kept making me go back, curse that man. So he's been there kind of throughout the whole journey throughout hospital. He was there kind of every night, sometimes sleeping like in a chair by my bed. He was the one with the sick bowls, kind of passing back bowls. So he's been there all through the starting up being terrible. Like I've asked him recently, did you think I'd, you know, ever be any good? And he was like, God, no, you're terrible. But you know, in these outdoor courts, he used to be there every night, like single dad, he used to work full time, look after me and my sister, and he'd be there rebounding all my misses, um, not thinking I'd go anywhere with it, but just, it was my dream to support it clean my wheels when there was dog pool over them from the outdoor courts yeah so all throughout he's been there <laughs> yeah he sounds like a bit of a hero he is a hero, a hero huge as it is so seeing him in the crowd at taunts with his stupid t-shirt he's made with my face on which a terrible photo he needs to get a new one uh that is like the proud kind of moment <laughs> bit of tournament seeing him apart from when it's on the dance cam occasionally him and my sister the cameras <laughs> love them they really go for it i remember a big timeout moment um, in Rio, and I remember keeping distracted seeing them on the dance cam. Like, Stop it, Dad! Family, read it in. You're embarrassing me. <laughs> and you can't pretend it's not your dad when your face well, is on his T-shirt. Exactly. You know him, no? Weird fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing! That's so cool that they got out to Rio to support you. Yeah, yeah, really grateful for that. <laughs> so I guess before we get into what you've done at the Olympics and stuff, but are there any other matches that stand out to you as highlights? Um. Oh, I think I'm always quite, <laughs> I need to work on my old psychology, I think I'm honest, because I'm a bit of a perfectionist with games, which is pointless, because with basketball, you're never going to have a perfect game. So I tend to remember my favourite games as just like the team wins and the big ones. So two, I think when we won the under 25 World Championships in China was incredible. However, no, f- we don't really have any fans there. We don't have any friends or family, which as I say, is quite important for me because they're there throughout the journey. So I think uh, my proudest I've ever been of our team was when we won silver at the world championships in 2018 because uh, we'd gone into it off a, a stinker of a run I think nine game loss in a row so yeah it was a <laughs> it wasn't much of a warm-up really but so trying to keep morale high and honest as well not like oh we can still do this kind of genuinely believing like we can do this and we pulled together and we came up against the Germans in the semi-finals and they are big dogs they'd been in every single European World Championship Paralympic final consecutively for the last 10 years. Yeah, we came up against them. It was in front of their home crowd. Um, I'm pretty sure my dad didn't think we were going to win. <laughs> Not a very um, inspiring pep talk before that bronze would still be good. Um, so I think just seeing our team really pull together and Jesus is believe in each other. And we came out with so much energy. Um, I think the German captain after the game, after we won, had said in the interview, kind of, they just couldn't match our energy and belief. So um, that was quite a compliment. So that would actually absolutely be my highlight. Yeah, and I often think that when you're kind of in the run-up to big tournaments like that, when things don't go to plan, it almost puts you in like a weirdly good position because you've got like not something to prove, but it, it gives you that kind of dogged fight that you may not have had if if those warm-up games came easily to you and you won them and you haven't got as many learning points to take away um, in wins as you do as losses so sometimes like I do think that it's not always a bad thing. Yeah that's true I mean I guess you don't get complacent and overly cocky. Brits always love an underdog always. (laughs) Definitely yes. As me and Rona are Scottish we heavily love an underdog. (laughs) Are you guys, oh no, the Commonwealth Games? Yeah, so Rugby Sevens compete at the Commonwealth Games. 
not 15 so it's oh, yeah. I d- yeah I don't know how much you know about rugby but it's almost like the backs play yeah. sevens yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. like if I was to be there at the commies it would be because there'd be quite a few backs injured and they needed someone on the bench to cover like that would be my hope and be in the crowd with a pint <laughs> so we're latecomers we've only just joined so I've never really um, watched that much of the commonwealth oh so will Birmingham be your first commonwealth games yeah but I think we're doing three on oh, three oh cool different that is really cool oh wait 3v3 like on the court yeah how come they're changing to that format i don't really know actually um i haven't heard loads about it so obviously the talk's been about well covid and tokyo but um yeah i've heard apparently like a squad of five or six go instead of the usual 12 yeah and i guess presenting england and all splitting up into oh yeah yeah so of course so (laughs) how many girls are full-time at the moment with gb wheelchair basketball um, so we're funded by UK um, Sport Lottery and um, basically if we're doing well um, then we get really good funding so we're really fortunate that we get to train full time so it's if you kind of bomb out that we lose the funding and then you have to kind of get a job and then I guess you can't train as much so the cycle gets a bit harder uh, so our whole team is full time people balance studies but everyone's there every session pretty much. God amazing so that'll be like feisty for um, getting to that it's team of sex. <laughs> yeah. It's going to get right beforehand. Yeah, especially because we're together 24-7, five days a week. <laughs> yeah, that will be. And yeah. 3v3, I feel like that's basketball's equivalent of rugby sevens. So rugby 15s, same pitch, 15 players, rugby sevens, same size pitch, but seven players, and you're just blowing the whole time. So 3v3, I feel like you're going to be blowing. I think it's in half court. Oh, okay. So it'll be quick. Different rules, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, um, That's cool. Twenty twenty two is going to be a big one because we're going to yeah. all the tournaments that we've missed from this year. We're going to, we've got three missions in the year. Twenty twenty has been. Oh yeah, shut that one out. Yeah. Do you want to hear an anecdote which I think is twenty twenty summed up for me? Go for it. It's about five to eight one uh, Wednesday night, my dad and I went out on the doorstep, started clapping. We're the first ones there. Nothing new. Um, people slowly start trickling out. Um, although it was a very slim turnout for a quite keen road. Um, we've got classic uh, Dave over the road with the saucepans. My dad's got some rare one. Think nothing of it, head back inside. Next night, we hear clapping again, and we're like, what are those losers doing? We've got the wrong day. I hadn't even realised. <laughs> it had become normal. It had been acceptable. Like, oh, Conroy's on the doorstep. Should we, should we go join them? Like, what is this year? The fact they're slow. Oh, yes, go stand on our doorstep and clap with our saucepans randomly. Oh, oh man. <laughs> That's funny, though. I didn't even realise we've got the wrong day. <sighs> Uh, well, at least some neighbours joined, like, they're supportive. Solidarity, I don't know, so solidarity, pity, fellow confusion, <laughs> lack of something better to do. <laughs> but they were there. And um, speaking of big games and competitions, you finished fourth at Rio. Now, that's always talked about as quite a, like a bittersweet finish. But equally, big picture fourth in the world at a, a Paralympics is still class. How do you feel about that? It, is there a bittersweet feeling or were you all just absolutely delighted with it? Um, I guess that can be the tough thing about team sports. Like we're always doing goal setting meetings on what we aim for and everyone always kind of has different things. So some people will say a medal, some people will say gold. So I can only speak for me, but personally I was disappointed. It was the best we'd ever done, but it's not a medal. Um, yeah. So I guess that's just the hard part of team sport, I think. Um, just if other people are buzzing and you're kind of thinking, oh, that's not what I wanted, it can be a bit tough. 
uh, for me, I'd always want a medal and I'd always kind of aim for gold. I don't really see why you'd, <laughs> if you're playing for a country, why you'd want to aim for anything less. Um, I'd be happy with a medal, but gold is always the one that I'd yeah. want. Who was that uh, third place match against at Rio? Oh, the Dutch. It's always the oh. Dutch. Oh. Yeah. Typical. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think we'd beaten the Germans earlier on, which was massive for us. And we were really celebrating that, hyped about it. So we expected to play them again. But then the Dutch fluffed up a game that they weren't supposed to, so ended up against us. Um, so it's really been then. All our big games have been against them for the last few years. So we really, at some point soon, <laughs> we're going to get that kind of, what's the phrase? Monkey off your back? Yeah, monkey off your shoulder sort of thing. I'm pretty sure it's the same same phrase, yeah. Something like that, as in get over that kind of hurdle. <laughs> yeah. And it's cool that Europe, or Europe sounds really dominant in wheelchair basketball in terms of prepping you for the Olympic Games. Yeah, in the women's game, the top three in the world are all from Europe, um, which is cool. means in our European championships, always intense competition. Um, and we get, I think, four or five spots qualify there to go to world championships and Paralympics. It's got pros and cons, having <laughs> a really strong European league. It is a, a wee bit similar to rugby as well. In Europe, you've got like concentrated teams that are really good and all play at like a high level when it comes to qualifying for World Cup. There's fewer spots. So we kind of feel you on that one and, and have the similar struggles, if you like. Yeah. Have you guys come up against many teams that do a hacker? Like, I guess, it's just, is it just New Zealand that would do it? Or does anyone kind of, like, adopted their own? So New Zealand do, uh, some of the other Islander teams do. I uh, don't want to make them up in case I get it totally wrong and embarrass myself, but I have a played against New Zealand with sevens, but they, they only do it before the, or after the final. Uh, they don't do it every single match. But yeah, I would absolutely love to see that. I think that would mm-hmm. that would be pretty cool. Yeah, that would be cool. Is the hacker specific to rugby or do you see it in wheelchair basketball as well? Uh, no, don't see it in basketball. I think I've seen a few clips before of it in wheelchair rugby. Oh, um, cool. In their sides. But I just wonder if you guys have come up against that. I always think it'd be a bit awkward. Like, what do you do? Do you just stand there, like, smiling at them? Like, awkward, like, mm. like what? I just think it'd be a bit awkward, personally. Me and Rona knowing us, we'd be so emotional about it. Like, how know. cool is that? <laughs> they look so intimidating. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, I'm so bad. <laughs> it would be cool to see, though, to see it right before you played them, I think. I think mm. you could, you'd use it as fuel a bit, wouldn't you? Yeah, I get, yeah. Why don't you guys whack one out? A Highland dance. Scottish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why not? Have you seen they do it in Akele. one? Copy that one. Yeah, Kaylee. I don't think that would be as threatening as the hacker would be. <laughs> I think it'd be incredible. I think you should do it. Oh, I appreciate the support. <laughs> so I guess our sort of last bit, um, what are your goals and aspirations for the future moving forward, both, I guess, as a basketball player, but also in your life outside of that I guess goals for short-term Tokyo have kind of changed a lot throughout this year because at one point it's like I hope we can just get there and I have no idea what our run-up to it's going to be like um, if we're going to get to play any matches beforehand or maybe our first game is going to be there so for a sport that's normally very kind of planned out and we have stages like strength and we've got fitness and we've got tactical um, and we know all our tournaments and we know where we are compared to other teams I think we're not gonna have any of that so it's going to be quite hard to gauge um, but the goal always has been, always will be a medal and the final 
so yeah it's a bit hard to kind of know uh, what the situation is going to be like yeah that's like really interesting with the like rugby sevens at the olympic games like usually the world series goes on so all the countries play each other regularly but just in the same situation where nobody knows where each other's at yeah Uh, so yeah i think it's going to make for like an extremely exciting games yeah yeah it's gonna be incredible and i think it could be kind of like a big celebration hopefully at the end of all of this so it could be bigger and better and there's lots of people saying oh it's not going to be the same there's no crowd but i'm really hyped for it oh no we wish you all the best i'm sure it'll be super exciting and we'll definitely tune in to watch for sure okay then before we finish our final thing we we ask every guest juicy cues um it is literally just five quick fire questions to get a little bit more of an insight about you so um i'll start with this one runa yep i okay. think i know what amy's gonna say for this one but we'll see if i get it right the first thing that comes into your head yeah first thing that comes into your head Any, okay would you rather play all of the instruments or speak all of the languages all the languages so you're i remember this from one of our like women's sports trust calls you're learning japanese aren't you um yeah so i uh, no real kind of reasoning behind it i just thought it'd be cool um, that's cool but- Japanese is a cool <laughs> language yeah, well I should have done my research beforehand because they have multiple um like symbol alphabets which is, was a lot to take on and I took up sign language as well during lockdown so haven't used it at all yet but <laughs> one day sometime it'll be worth it when I can talk to someone <laughs> that's a legit lockdown that. project yeah mm. yeah yeah <laughs> cool so question two if you had a superpower what would it be Oh, geez. Um, sounds really lame. Probably run really fast. <laughs> I really want to get a blade. That's my dream to be able to run at the moment. I've only got like a little bit of a hobbly jog type thing, which isn't going to be impressing anyone. But just to be able to like belt it, I think that'd be so cool. OK, question three. What would be your Bake Off speciality? Oh, I mean, I did go on, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, a cooking program that I did really badly in with a spaghetti <laughs> so my cooking um needs some work um I didn't win I came last um so, I think you need to tell us more about this yeah. I mean it hasn't aired yet so I don't really know if oh I'm- okay oh okay don't say don't say <laughs> okay but um I mean my speciality there was a subpar spaghetti bolognese so that would be my bake off special <laughs> um I panicked and just added loads of random things in um, so I gave it the name of a bougie bolognese and when they're like well why is it bougie I was like oh because it's got parsnips in it so I put parsnips in it was awful and bacon it really wasn't it, oh, it's not my forte <laughs> I'm dreading when it airs I ruined myself my reputation <laughs> okay question four what sport would you do if you didn't play wheelchair basketball I think running I'd love to be a runner I think long distance that would be yeah it's my dream Oh, long distance. Yeah. Yeah, well, I used to do it. I kind of hate, love it. I didn't do it at the time, but afterwards it was fun. (laughs) Okay, final one from us then. What is your star sign? Libra. I'm a Libra, so that's a a favourite. Yeah, they have changed, but we're basically refusing to... Acknowledge this change. Yeah. Is Libra a good one? Are we... I I think so. Okay, nice. Um, thank you so much for coming on today and all that you've shared. It's I think you've got such an inspiring story and you're doing such cool things and I absolutely love it. Oh, thank you very much. Because we are doctors, lawyers, mothers, footballers, first minister. 
Oh Lord, yeah, we're on the move And I'm telling you, the glass ceiling's going We're coming through Rise up, eyes up, take the stage Play your game, don't be afraid You're a work of our or Jones of our Always be proud of who you are So go and shine.